Hello, welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with Mitch J., George Ortega, and David Joseph. And the topic today is going to be about happiness versus depression and suicide, and how if we really had the type of free will that people are claiming, we would be able to make ourselves happy and no one would be attempting suicide. And so here's the deal. Um, people, they behave differently when they're depressed than they do when they're happy. When they're depressed, they, they don't do the things that they like to do. They're, whatever, whether it's music or sports or, or jogging or whatever it is, they're less interested when they're depressed. Um, and so, but people are happier when they're doing the things they like to do, but for some reason they're stuck in this cycle of depression. And if people have a free will, as some people claim, why does this depression exist? I think it's a it's a great way to demonstrate to people that they don't have a free will that you know basically you know most people think that yeah they what they choose to think is up to them and not just what they choose to think but also what they choose to feel you know I think that most people would would you know hold that con that conception of free will and you know to the extent you know who 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 freely wills to 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 not just get depressed, but to feel any negative feeling. Because also, like, our feelings are, are dependent to a great extent on our thoughts. You know, we have a certain thought, and if it's a depressing thought, then we'll get a depressing feeling. So, so absolutely, it's a good way to show people, you know, in a very experiential way that, no, they don't have this free will that they believe they do. Yeah. Um, in our last episode, we mentioned the idea about how would you choose your thoughts because if you, there's a thought you want to not think, you first have to think the thought, you know, to before you can not think it. So how in the world, if you, you there's, we know it's incoherent to control your thoughts, but since your thoughts affect your mood, how can you affect your mood? When, when this conversation starts between the free will believer and the free will skeptic, the free will believer has to constantly make concessions, concession after concession, and what it usually boils down to is this notion of partial free will. It's always about um, demonstrating that not only do we not have free will, but that we don't have a partial free will either, that that, that isn't a, a reasonable thing. We've talked about it many, many times on the show before, but I suppose we might get into it again uh, today. Um, so just to play devil's advocate, I think when it comes to the depression, the believer in free will would say, well, that person has less free will. That depressed person obviously isn't choosing, but there are certain periods, certain situations where some people, some of the time, in some situations, can choose. So what we really need to do is make the argument, I think, again, for why there's no uh, partial free will. Well, one way to do that, Mitch, is to turn that question around to them. In other words, like, if that's what they believe, then they, you know they have to kind of like present a rationale for like, for example, in which cases can we choose not to feel depressed and in which cases can we not? You know, and that's where I think that they'd get, you know, they'd get muddled up because like how, you know, the, the key is kind of like to get them to understand that. So like finding, you know, we can, we, can, we can present cases where they don't have control clearly 
and then you know the question becomes for them well you know um what 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 kind of example would differ from that i mean like what um what would be different about a case where they do have control? You know, I mean, like, for example, if they said that, well, for example, like today I'm feeling great, so my free will is working today, whereas like yesterday I wasn't, so it wasn't working as well. And then, you know, our, our comeback to that is like, well, you know, what, you know, was what happened today versus what happened yesterday really up to you? I mean, like, you know, did you really choose to to not be as depressed today and also it, it, it it's a real problem for them yeah i mean you know yes yeah, so this so this really is the crux of the problem right i know you said that this is a, ch a challenge for them but i the believer in free will i don't think they necessarily recognize why that argument that line of argumentation is such a threat to their stance uh chandler do you want to do you want to chime in on this yeah because people do the partial free will thing and they say, oh, well, we don't have a choice about this, you know, but we have a choice about something else. Um, like a, an example as well, we don't we don't choose um, we don't have a free will that enables us to to lose weight or maintain our weight. Um, we can't control how much we eat, but we can still choose whether or not we eat an apple or an orange. And George and I, we talked about in our last episode about, you know, what good is this thing? It doesn't let it doesn't let people choose to be happy. It doesn't let them them choose to lose weight. It, it you know, and so what they do is they've narrowed down to a free will that's so tiny that it's of no effect to any issue. So even if we were to grant them and say, Sure, you have the free, the tiny free will over over which cartoon you watch or whether eat which fruit you eat. You know, it's like it's it has no practical applications in the realm of moral responsibility because they've reduced it to all amoral choices that have no impact on society. And so then we can bring back in the moral responsibility. And realize that over the big life and death issues, homicide, suicide, and of course obesity, which kills as well, um, they don't have the free will to stop themselves from killing themselves or to stop themselves from killing other people. So then if how, whatever ethical system you've got, um, you know, it falls apart and you can't make people morally responsible since they can't. We know that they can't be responsible for their thoughts, and we've explained that so clearly. Yeah, and again, so like, um, I guess, you know, what, what, and you know, what we have to figure out is what they don't understand about that, you know, because, um, you know, you explain that to them, and they'll still say, well, yeah, but it still feels kind of like it's up to me. And, you know, so it's kind of like this, you know, it's not technically a feeling because it really is a conclusion, you know, but but they they just have this sense that it's it's up to them. And it, that's that's the key. And in other words, like, you know, we can present a lot of different we have presented a lot of different logical refutations to free will. But it may be it may be we haven't yet, you know, hit on on the kind of explanation 
that, that people need to hear on, on just on just the exact wording, the exact, you know, conceptual, you know, presentation of this. Well, it's, it's going to be different for, for different people, isn't it? That some people might accept, say, what we're talking about here in this podcast, but others will probably dismiss it and they'll have some kind of emotional reason or, you know, egotistical reason for, for doing that. I agree with you, um, David, but I, I, I would hope that we can have, like, you know, there are groups. Like, for example, um, somebody at a, a recent meetup, um, she was, she was like, you know, advocating that we do, we are morally responsible for what we do, fundamentally. And then I posed this challenge to her. She, she happened to be a school teacher. I said to her, listen, um, your moral code, I'm sure... Um, kind of like is against your yelling at your kids. I think that she teaches elementary school kids. And she agreed. She agreed with that, right? And then I asked her, well, listen, don't have you ever lost your temper with your kids and yelled at them and just spoken harshly to them? And at that point, once she acknowledged she had done that, she finally began to get it. So so who knows? Maybe Maybe we haven't like stress the moral responsibility aspect of this enough. Maybe we're working too much on the causality or the, you know, this, this generic logic. But, but you're right. I, I think with, with, with certain, you know, that while it might be different for each person in a certain sense, that I think there might be categories of people where we can re- reach, you know, let's say 20, 30, 40 percent of the population in a, a certain way. Right, yeah. So we need to kind of mass market, so to speak. Well, here's a, here's an interesting thought, guys, because now it's clear that anyone who rejects free will um, automatically rejects moral responsibility because, you know, moral responsibility requires to be the originator of your thoughts and feelings and actions. But um, he, here's here's the key um, there are tons of people who believe in no moral responsibility, but they believe in free will. And I'm talking about, this is very, very common, like people who say, well, morality is just an opinion and it's all relative, it's subjective, and don't force your opinions on me. So if I want to murder and rape, it's my right to choose, you know, that kind of stuff. And typically you'll find that these are former Christians who were told, well, morality comes from God and you're more responsible to God. And then they turn atheist, you know, and then they, they feel, hey, morality is gone because there's no God because they were taught that morality is based on God. You know, that's one example. Um, I'm sure there are other examples where people have said morality is an illusion or they'll say moral responsibility is an illusion, yet they still believe they have free will. So how, how do we get people to understand that although we're saying that nobody's um, morally responsible, how do we get them to understand that we're also not a bunch of relativists who are saying that morality doesn't matter? What strange case of Richard Dawkins? Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins, the biologist, the atheist, the writer, the intellectual celebrity. Richard Dawkins, one of the uh, four horsemen of the new atheist movement. We all know Dawkins, of course. Years ago, before the free will issue became such a hot-button topic, at least in intellectual circles and on the internet, 
uh, when it was more about atheism and more about politics. And Richard Dawkins wrote an article called, I think, Let's All Stop Beating Basil's Car. I can give you guys the link uh, afterward. Any listeners who are uh, listening to this podcast right now, just do a quick Google search for that. And you'll see that in that article, Dawkins, without mentioning the exact term free will, delivers a beautiful, a splendid refutation of the idea. Let me just provide a few sentences from the opening of the article. Ask people why they support the death penalty or prolonged incarceration for serious crimes. And the reasons they give will usually involve retribution. There may be past mention of deterrence or rehabilitation, but the surrounding rhetoric gives the game away. People want to kill a criminal as payback for the horrible things he did, or they want to give satisfaction to the victims of the crime or their relatives. An especially warped and disgusting application of the flawed concept of retribution is Christian, is Christian crucifixion as atonement for sin. Dawkins, end quote. So Dawkins goes on to say that retribution as a moral principle is incompatible with a scientific view of human behavior. People are like uh, computers. They're governed by physics. When a computer malfunctions, we don't punish it. We track down the problem and fix it. So it seems like clearly, clearly, right? I'm sure to all of us here, it sounds like Richard Dawkins at that moment in time was a strident, hard incompatibilist, a strident skeptic of free will. But he didn't use the term free will. And it turns out when he was probed about that term years after this article, he had said it some. That Mitch, you're cutting in and out again. Guys, mute your mic. Sorry, can you guys hear me? I was I was saying that Dawkins um, actually invoked free will later on. After this, he said on more than one occasion that yeah, I guess we have free will. I don't know. I think free will is compatible with this. Until a time after that, his uh, fellow um, horseman, fellow new atheist Sam Harris, changed his mind again. So it's really the terminology that is scaring people. All right, Mitch, Mitch, you're cutting in really like, do you, do you have like an iPhone or something? I mean, for future podcasts? Because again, sometimes a cell phone, like whether it's an Android or a, um, an iPhone, sometimes they, they're, you know, their technology is better. I, I have several devices. Uh, did a lot of that get cut off? I, I, don't, I don't Yeah, most of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, toward the end, you, you know, um, the last, let's say, 30, 40 seconds, just, it was, you know, more out than in. All right. Long story short, Dawkins went from um, indirectly saying we don't have free will to saying we do have free will to finally saying, oh, yeah, I guess we don't have free will again. All because the terms are so confusing and because people are so scared about the impact it has on moral responsibility. OK, um, uh, in line with that, you know, um, for example, there's a. There is a very common expression in the English language, um, don't judge a man unless you walked a mile in his shoes, right? So let's say you were to ask um, 50 undergraduates, what's the meaning of this phrase, of this adage? You know, I, I bet they would say something that, well, you know, you, you really can't know what the person has gone through, what the person's experiences are, so it's really wrong or unfair to hold this person responsible for, you know, who they became, became or, or how they, you know, became. So, so yeah, um, maybe we need to do that. Maybe we need to invoke these, these kinds of like, you know, on the one hand, when you use the term free will, people have such a powerful resistance against it. On the other hand, 
if you frame it in different ways, like Dawkins did, and how some of our popular expressions um, express it, you know, people can more easily get get it that way. Yeah, it feels like the, it feels like one approach is to just not say free will, then convince someone you, you don't have, uh, like you said, um, that a person was forced to do what he did, that we should feel sorry for him, empathetic for him, and then only after that, then finally reveal the trick, you know, and say, hey, this means we don't have free will. Think about it. That's it how I. Like, yeah, go that, ahead. I, I was just going to say that's how I came to the uh, conclusion that we don't have free will. Is I, at first I was introduced to the idea that. You know, we're all influenced by our environments and genetic predispositions. And then it wasn't until much later that I was shown uh, Sam Harris talking about no free will. Right, exactly. Right. There's another expression, you know, like, um, you know, somebody sees somebody kind of like yelling at a kid or something, right? And somebody comes to the kid's defense, you know, saying to the person who's yelling, listen, the kid's doing the best they can. You know, the the, the, per, the kid was doing the best. Like, people get this. People get this, you know, like, you know. And so, um, you know, all right, um, Mitch, you know, like, relative to this idea of, like, creating a not-for-profit, of, like, just organizing our efforts more, once we have this in place, I think what we, we could do is, like, for example, um, on my blog, on your Twitter, on your, your website, on, on Trick's website. Freewillisfalse.com. Right. Well, yeah. So, like, what we should do is, like, it, we should um, launch campaigns so that we're all treating the same theme at the same time. So, like, you know, you look on, on the Internet, you, you search for, for free will, and all of a sudden you have five to ten different articles within the same day or week about the same theme. I think that's, you know, that's one way to kind of, like, amplify our um, – because, you know, like, when people get the impression – that oh my God everybody's talking about this you know all of a sudden the the, uh, the importance of it is amplified. Yep, certainly. I was I was just going to ask what is our kind of um, target audience supposed to be? Is it people who already have an idea of what free will is, and we're trying to convince them that it doesn't exist, or are we trying to get the average Joe who hasn't really considered it to kind of understand the topic and convince them that free will is an illusion? It's a good question, David, because like I think sometimes, you know, like a lot of people, when you ask them if they have a free will, if people have free will, they are actually not understanding the question. They 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 think it's about political freedom or something like that. And so then the question that, that we are faced with is like it's an important question, David. I mean, it's like, are they more amenable to rejecting free will than people who already have a very, you know, a proper, a more proper um, understanding of the concept? That's a good question. I think that our target audience should be primarily to people who accept the theory of evolution. And the reason for that is because once somebody, like for example, Richard Dawkins and Jerry Coyne, they're already, um, they're already well versed in biology and know far more about evolution than I ever will understand. And so people learn a lot about that from them. So somebody could use that example as do life forms freely choose how they evolve and how they change species over all this time? Yeah, I, yeah, I think we've, without really um, 
saying it directly, we've we've segued into the the secondary topic that we wanted. We've changed our focus here uh, at this point in the podcast to empathy. You know, recently in discussions on the internet with um, with both skeptics alike, I've been talking. We've been talking about how empathy is directly linked to the rejection of free will. So these so people who um, people who believe in free will, when they're being empathetic are really making a declaration that there is no free will. And when their empathy runs out, they're now saying, since I know since I don't want to be as empathetic as I was as I as I was before, now I'm saying you have free will. Chandler and I brought this up uh, and Jamie um, on the lot in the last podcast we, we we gave a political background for this. maybe um, David, you and uh, George would like to, Put your own opinions on. So I, I presented the example of how most people, especially um, people on the the left side of the of the political spectrum, will say that poor people don't choose to be poor. They think about the factors that makes poor people poor. Not for a moment do they even entertain the idea that it's their fault. Yet when it comes to something like a character trait, like being industrious, being a hardworking person, all of a sudden they blame a person for being lazy. Right. Now how do, how does that make any sense? Well, it, it doesn't make any sense, but it's like a um, uh, I think I've, I've said this before. It's like a truncated form of causality that they kind of they kind of conjure into existence. And I, I think that stems from the fact that we're, we're kind of in an environment of scarcity, and people have to kind of kind of say that they deserve something that they've managed to get hold of, and they have to find reasons to keep it and. You know, if there's scarcity, then there's not enough to go around. Everybody's kind of, you know, defending their own little patch, and they have to say, you know, I deserve this because I've done this, and so this is my patch, and I'm going to keep it, and I deserve it. And I think that just spreads out from there until you get, you know, people who just kind of believe in free will as standard, but don't really give it too much thought. Yeah. If if that makes sense at all. I think it makes sense. What do you, what do you think about that, George? All right, you're just you know framing it from when you started that like you, you said I think that like empathy kind of like necessarily suggests or implies that people are rejecting free will. Empathy is the rejection of free will. No, no, that's but let exactly, me, it's a belief in free will. Right, that's, but let that's me, my argument. No, I know. Let, so let, let me propose um, an example. For example, you have two people who uh, have done something wrong. Um, one person apologizes, admits that they've done wrong, and they apologize. The other person doesn't. Now, I can I can see a person being empathetic toward the person who has apologized, you know, and not toward the other, without this person actually, you know, um, rejecting free will. In other words, like this person may conclude that the person of his free will did something wrong. And because now of his free will, he's apologized, then he's deserving of the empathy. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. Um, but I think know. that's, well, but hold on a second. In that scenario, the free will believer is saying that the person who apologized, what, used his free, <laughs> used this free will to make himself apologize. You see what I'm saying? It's like, so, uh, so, so the point is this, though. When someone is empathy, so empathy is about imagining yourself in someone else's shoes, like you said earlier, uh, George. So, um, 
so when someone feels sorry for someone, what they do is they imagine themselves that person's position and go, if I were in your shoes, I would be in a similar situation or even stronger, the same situation. And that's why I can't blame you because I recognize what happened to you. This is exactly what empathy is. It is, it is identical. It is, it is identical to this notion that we can't control what we do. And when we're not empathetic, it's because we think someone can control it, right? The free will believer says you could have done something else, which well, is ridiculous, but that, that, is the, that is the point, right? Mitch, I, I think um, one, one point that I've brought up in the past is like, for example, within Christianity, um, the, the concept surrounding Jesus is that he has, you know, provided a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. You know, we've got, we're sinful and like, you know, this is a, a forgiveness. We can forgive ourselves. But the thing is, is that um, in this context, this forgiveness, which is kind of like a form of empathy, is um, falls under the model of morality. In other words, it's the right and godly and good thing to do to forgive someone. Now, we might want to contrast that with, you know, a stronger um, refutation of free will that says, like, you know, we forgive ourselves and each other, not simply because it's the right thing to do, which may not, you know, actually refute free will, but because it no longer makes sense to indict us in the first place. So, so I, you know, I think, you know, I, I don't know. To me, it seems like empathy can be evoked just from a sense of goodness rather than a sense of, 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 of hard but logic. I, I... I don't know. I think you're missing the point, though, because the, the definition of the word empathy, what empathy means is to be compassionate towards someone because you imagine yourself in their shoes. That's what empathy is. That's right, exactly let, what it is. But let's say, let's say I believe in free will, right? So, like, I believe that I've um, done something. I, 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 all right. I think I'm beginning to see your point. So, like, I right? believe and, I have... And you're empathetic. If you believe in free will... At those moments when you are being empathetic, what you're really doing is discarding your belief in free will. So we went to this partial free will thing again, this arbitrary partial free will, saying now at this time, obviously you had no control over what you did, blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, again, like, for example, like within our legal system, um, which, you know, holds to the, um, to the belief in free will, um, after a person has been punished for a certain amount of time or something, then like, you know, the, the probation or some kind of like, you know, a lessening of the sentence is, is it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't suggest that the person didn't, you know, do what they did, um, you know, unfreely. It's simply, it's, it, it, it's, it's based because like a lot of people believe that, yes, we, um, we are flawed. We make mistakes. You know, we all make mistakes, and that's why we have to forgive each other. But, you know, I think the belief is that we make those mistakes of our free will. And, and it, it's, it's, it's contradictory because, like, on the one hand, if we have this, this 
this nature, if we can't but make mistakes, that would seem to suggest that we don't have a free will. But, um, but all right, I, I just looked up the, the, the word empathy. The feeling that you understand and share another person's experiences and emotions, the ability to share someone's um, feeling. So again, again I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I, um, I, I can't yet see um, how empathy has to kind of like, you know, um, complete. Go ahead. Why we judge people. The reason why we judge people. Why our, why our empathy runs out is because of this idea of control. When we think someone chooses to do something, we are not empathetic. So if, if that's how that has, it has to be how it works. Like if you really break it down and think about it, what are we saying when we're not being empathetic? When people don't feel sorry for Hitler, it's because they go, well, no, Hitler got what he deserved. You know, this is the, this is the idea. It's like, he made several bad decisions. I wouldn't have made those decisions, so I don't feel sorry for him. If we felt the circumstances were different, like if there was some really exculpatory, uh, I don't know, uh, evidence there, something like a large tumor in his brain or really, really abusive parenting, all of a sudden it causes the human mind to think more about the reasons, the impact, the things that made him who we became. So when we're being empathetic, we think about the reasons. We think about if I were in your situation, what would cause me to be that way? When we're not being empathetic, we're not doing that anymore. What we're saying is you made choices. That's the difference. When our empathy runs out, we are not empathetic towards people when we think about the fact that they made choices and they could have made different choices, then we're not empathetic. We are empathetic when we say, wow, they had no choice. So it's this direct, direct link. And again, as, I, as, I, as I'm trying to argue, this is another, um, another uh, incarnation of the, uh, this idea of partial free will. This is what... This is the thing to attack. And we've attacked it before. Earlier podcast episodes, people can look up where we dissected all that's wrong with partial will and showed why partial free will is full free will. So if you, if you refute free will, you also refute partial free will. I don't want to get into the details right now. But um, do you kind of see where I'm going uh, with that, George? Um, I, I can see that as an example in some cases. But again, I, I can kind of like conceptualize a case. For example, um, somebody believes that another person has done something wrong of their free will, and um, their first tendency is to want to punish that person. Okay, let's, they want to punish that person. Why? Right, and let's say that person is like is being punished, you know, because of that, you know, by society, by by whomever. And then, like, it dawns on the person who believes in free will that, well, you, you know, like, this person, um, for whatever reason, is not going to be able to do that same wrong thing again. Um, maybe because the opportunity is no longer there for whatever reason. So maybe based on that rationale, the person says, well, because the person, not because the person doesn't have a free will, but because that person is not likely or won't do the, the same thing again, 
that all of a sudden there there doesn't seem to be any any um, deterrent value in in further punishment. So again, like, um, while while I see your point that in some cases the the empathy would definitely be a reflection of the understanding that um, that the person doesn't have a free will. I'm not sure I can extend that to, to all examples. I think there's a, a, some miscommunication here with what I'm arguing and what you're saying. So, for example, if, if I took your, the example you just made step by step and put, and put it in the context of the, the argument that I'm trying to make, here's, here's how I would say that. So a person did something bad, and now uh, the one who's, who changed his opinion, right, who at first wanted this person to be punished, at first, how did this person feel? Well, that person thought, well, yeah, that person chose to do something bad. I don't feel sorry for him. If he didn't feel that way, if he didn't feel that that person chose to do something bad, if he felt that, that person did what he did because of the things that made him become, that person would say, wow, that, that would have been me too. If I had his brain, I would be him. But I, so I'm not. I'm saying this is what we're saying, right? This is exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, is that, did I clear that up? I don't know if that's, there's still some confusion. Yeah. We can move on. I can, yeah. We can get back to this later, perhaps off air. Yeah. I'll explain Here's that. the deal. I just wanted to say about that is I agree with Mitch here because what it comes down to is any time that you're empathizing with someone, basically it involves two things. First of all, you see that this, this person is in pain. They're suffering. Now, if you believe that they chose to suffer in that way by exactly. bringing it on themselves, if you, if you believe somebody brought that suffering on themselves, you have no empathy on them. Whereas if you see them as a victim um, because you realize that they could not have avoided that suffering, well, then you have a greater empathy. And here's what it comes down to. Um, like a fine example is people blame women for being raped. I'm sure you've heard of this before, where some woman is raped and then they say, well, um, that she, you know, she chose to dress in a way that provoked the rapist. To, he had no choice but to rape her. There are people who say these things, you know what I'm saying? And so what they've done there is they're saying that women have free will and men don't. That's what they're basically saying. Um, so, so what? It, but then, when it comes to non-human animals like factory farm suffering, people tend to be more empathetic to these animals, realizing these animals didn't choose to be in that situation. Because how could they? You know, most people get that. But then, when it comes to human beings, they tend to attribute free will to them. So it really comes down to you only have empathy with someone if you understand they didn't choose to be in that situation that's causing them pain. Exactly. And in those moments when we are empathetic, those are the moments where the free will belief goes out the window. Or where I guess the person who argues for a partial free will belief would say, okay, well, he couldn't use his free will to overcome this. Those are the moments. So, so, so when, I, when we extend this notion, it becomes very easy to argue why when we reject free will, society as a whole becomes much more empathetic. Only the free will skeptic is, really has the capacity, well I shouldn't say only, but certainly 
the free will skeptic has the uh, the capacity for um, maximum empathy. You know, when you, when you th- when you say no one controls anything, then your empathy is the greatest that it can be. That's when you're just focused on solutions, humane, moral, effective solutions, trying to be as compassionate as possible when devising strategies. I'm saying this is what we're saying. Yeah. It's one of those connections that people, uh, I don't know, does that make it a little clearer, George? Yeah, I mean, like, to the extent, exactly, to the extent that our world overcomes this notion of free will, all of a sudden, it absolutely makes no sense to to blame people, and it makes complete sense to be completely empathetic. So yeah, so like this, this free will belief is is a powerful um, agent against empathy. I mean, absolutely. You know, the the, the more we overcome it, um, it it's it's like the 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 stronger the rationale is for a person to um to be compassionate, to be empathetic. Yeah, um, and guys, I'm an example of this because basically the reason my empathy is so high um, is partly because I don't believe in free will. Because back when I believed in free will, I had the speciesist problem of where I was blaming humans for their choices, but not non-human animals. And so what's happened is now it's just extended to more um, more people, it's, you know, to all of humanity now, the empathy I already had. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I still get angry. Think about it. Take that. David, go ahead. I was just going to say, I still get angry at people. Well, that's because, because that's the next step. And I think we all do. In other words, like, I don't, I can't, claim to like you know 24 7 be able to like act on my disbelief of free will you know sometimes somebody will do something and emotionally i think because we've been so conditioned by our society by our world to hold people responsible and to hold ourselves responsible we really have to fight against this and it's you know it's not going to happen automatically but you know that's why you know we we can overcome it step by step yeah, we, yeah, we'll want to do an episode about that. Um, but let's see, guys. Now we've been going for about forty-three minutes. Um, do you think we talked about everything in, enough in this episode? Uh, there is just one one extra thing I wanted to um, uh, jump in with. I was going to say that um, just con- just finishing this this, uh, this line of thought. Think about it. The average person, at some point, at some point runs out of empathy don't they you feel sorry for a child you'll say, the average person will say okay it's just a kid as george uh you know alluded to earlier the, the example I gave earlier feel sorry for an old person or a person with alzheimer's someone with dementia okay feel sorry for that person feel sorry for a baby feel sorry for this person and that person and that person but at a certain point we split the world into heroes and villains how many people honestly feel sorry for Hitler? I do. feel sorry for Hitler. <laughs> what kind of person would feel sorry for Hitler and why? Someone who understands he had no choice but to be what exactly. he is. Exactly. Because, you know, all the excuses run out. Oh, he's not, well, he wasn't old. He wasn't crippled. He wasn't this. He wasn't that. He wasn't, he wasn't that. So why am I feeling sorry for him? 
because he became the person he became because of the experiences he had, because of the brain he had. He was unfortunate to have the brain of Adolf Hitler and the experiences of Adolf Hitler and live in a time period of mass anti-Semitism and devastation in, uh, in Austria and Germany as fallout after the First World War. And if you, as Sam Harris has said many times before, if you, were, if you exchanged places with him, Adam for Adam, you would be him. And that's where that comes from. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, absolutely. It's, um, and that's, again, so like we're moving from right now in our world, we will be compassionate and empathic and forgiving, you know, for the most part, for most people, because they believe it's the right or good thing to do. And so now, you know, as, as people understand that not only is it right, it's logical it's completely insane to not be that way it provides such a stronger motivation to to be compassionate and empathetic yeah and that's exactly why we're we're doing this why we're sending this message to people because the more free will skeptics the less crime less retribution more empathy it's better for all and we're not just making this up there's a lot of uh articles that uh that support this. There's a lot of research that's been done, and more and more there's more research that's been done that shows that uh, people who reject, people who are given information that affects how much they believe in free will. So they, they're given, so some test subjects are given information that makes them, that makes their belief in free will weaken. They tend to be very, tend to be much more compassionate. Like they give, um, they're, they, all of a sudden they're in favor of shorter prison sentences, for example. If you go to freewillisfalse.com and you go to the podcast forums for the Free Will Science and Religion podcast, you'll see all kinds of media, articles, books, blogs, with all kinds of information about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, now, Mitch just reminded me, since he was explaining his Free Will is False site, that maybe at the end of each episode we should ex we should explain where people can find more of our work. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So George, um, just tell our audience a little bit about your 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 site and your show exploring the illusion of free will. Okay. Yeah. If you just keyword exploring the illusion of free will or go to causalconsciousness.com, you know one word, then you know we have a collection there of like. Um, all the, these podcasts are listed there, you know, a lot of articles going back, you know, several decades that are refuting free will, um, a lot, a lot of articles in the news, you know, it, it's got, it's a resource for a lot of information. It just, you know, provides a lot of different ways of understanding, not just why we don't have a free will, but why this matters, you know, why, why, why our world would benefit in so many ways by our overcoming the, the illusion. Yeah. Um, and David, do you have a website or anything that you do like that? Um, not really, to be honest, but I'd recommend anyone go to the com and check out their documentaries because they, they're much heavily influenced um, on, you know, describing the environmental conditions and stuff like that, why people do what they do. 
Yeah, okay. And then people can find out the most about me either through um, chandlerklebs.wordpress.com or the YouTube channel, which I post um, the videos of these episodes where I take Trick's logo and, and the audio of an episode. So I'm easy to find too. So I think that covers everything. So, all right. All right. Well, you've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion with Chandler Klebs, Mitch J., George Ortega, and David Joseph. And we've talked about many things, about empathy, about depression, suicide. I hope you've enjoyed. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and goodbye.